This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing. Hi, and welcome to Graphic Novel TK. I'm Gina Gagliano. And I'm Allison Wilgus. Today, we're continuing our discussion of marketing with a venture online into social media, which, unlike newspapers or magazines or even radio, wasn't around when I was a kid. So I always think of it as a strange and peculiar sort of new and exciting thing. So let's explore. You also barely use it now. I definitely use I mean, (laughs) but this is really interesting, right? Because I feel like it's retained its strange newness due to the fact that you do not actually use it very much um, outside of a professional capacity. Yes, but I also use it pretty extensively in a professional capacity. I'm I'm sorry. I'll stop bragging on Gina. No, but it's an interesting thing because I think that my experience with social media where I was running the social media for professionally for a company is probably very different from your experience as an author who's doing brand building and also has friends online that you're communicating and uh, like professional colleagues who you're communicating with through social media and causes us to have like wildly different ideas of how it works and what to use it for. So, Let's explore. And to do that, we have an amazing guest who's also going to talk to us about all these things and also about how the internet works, which I think will be very helpful for everyone. Um, It's Ngozi Okazu. Hey, Ngozi. Hi. Thank you guys so much for having me on your show. I'm a big fan. I've learned so much from you guys. Seriously. Aw, that's so nice of you to say. Thank you. I want to download your episodes, and when I eventually teach a college class, I'm just going to make them just listen, the students listen to all these episodes. It's valuable information. That's what we want to hear. Yay. Um, Ngozi, can you tell us a little about who you are, how you got into comics, and what you're doing now? Yes, I can. So, hi, everybody listening. My name is Ngozi Kazu, and I'm a comics maker. I make comics. I write and draw comics. Young adult graphic novels. I really started off making web comics, and I actually didn't think that uh, comics was the thing that I was going to do. I know a lot of people kind of grow up and they they want to be cartoonists. I, I've always been interested in drawing, but I never saw comics as a viable career. So um, we can even talk. If you want to talk about how I like fell into comics. Yeah, okay, we can talk about that now. So I actually, um, I, I think I was a pretty good student in high school, and I wanted to do science, because when you're a first-generation Nigerian kid, it's like law school, med school, pharmacy school. Like, you you want to do something that is uh, very vi- viable and sustainable. So when I went into college, my major was initially, it was biomedical engineering, then became uh, like electrical engineering, uh, and then became computer science, then became finally computing in the arts. When I realized uh, my sophomore year of college that I really just wanted to make art and I had to salvage all of my computer science major credits. And that was also the time around my junior year and senior year, that's when I realized I, I wanted to go into art. I started I actually started a webcomic before Check, Please. You heard it here first, guys. There was a webcomic before Check, Please that lasted like a year. <laughs> it was called The Closet Story. It was basically um, about like if you put a book in a closet and close the door and open the door, the author of the book will come out at the closet the same age they were when they wrote the book. And it, of course, was starring Oscar Wilde in, um, in, in kind of like a coffee shop AU setting with like a girl who discovers this magical closet. And that experience actually taught me a lot about posting and having a pretty, like having a readership, small but engaging with them. And yeah, after in my senior year, I, that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to apply to grad school because I needed to improve my draftsmanship. And that's what brought me to SCAD. At SCAD, I had the wonderful opportunity to work on my second webcomic. I always call it my first project, but secretly, you guys know now, it's my second um, webcomic. And that was Check, Please. Had a really active fandom, has a really active fandom. And we can, we're going to get into those mechanics of how something online became something that grew and grew and why it is what it is now. And this is what I do. Um, in my day-to-day, every day, I get to write and draw comics. 
Yay. Yeah, you're a full-time cartoonist right now, is my understanding. Hey, congrats. Yeah, it's, um, I do not take that for granted. I, I have a plan A through Z uh, at the end of grad school. I, I knew that I wanted to make comics, and if that meant teaching or just doing commissions full-time or going super hardcore on conventions or literally anything else, tutoring, I, I was prepared to do it, but fortunately... Uh, the Kickstarter, the first Kickstarter that I did went well. That was able to carry me through making a sustainable Patreon to so the next Kickstarter to working with for Second and Macmillan. So I'm very thankful that I've been able to take kind of these baby steps to building a sustainable career. So today we're talking about social media. Um, can you tell us about how you the first time you ever started using social media? Uh, personally, professionally, like, how did social media become part of your life? Um, let's start with personally. I've always been interested in the internet because it's like a place to explore and find things. So usually when I start talking about like social media, I talk, I talk about Live Journal. I talk about how that was such a fun place for fandom and like Harry Potter fandom was really big and you could find, even though I wasn't even that big into Harry Potter, you could, you, there was so much fan art. People were always posting and like, I remember Avatar being a huge fandom and my biggest fandom on Tumblr, uh, on LiveJournal, <laughs> we'll get to Tumblr in a second. My biggest fandom on LiveJournal was Star Trek 2009. Oh, God bless you. Oh, I, it was like, that was my, and I, and I got right into uh, the original series at that time. Um, but it was 2009. And I remember I was going home from high school and drawing so much fan art that I actually got a letter in the mail from my college saying like, uh, Hey, what happened to your grades? And there, there were other things going on that affected my grades that were very legitimate, but I, I can't say, I, it would be remiss for me to say that a little bit wasn't me just escaping through um, LiveJournal. But before LiveJournal, there was Zanga, and that's what I used in middle school. And I would say out of all of my peers, I was probably the most invested in creating interesting content um, through writing, through jokes, through recording the, like, kind of like a overheard at TH Rogers middle school. Like, I guess I've always been interested in making content online, like since 2004. <laughs> so, yeah. Wait, what is this thing? I've never heard of Zanga before. Because Gina, you're too cool. Zanga was for nerds. Zanga was for little, like weird kids. Um, and it was basically like, maybe the prepubescent, adolescent, fluorescent version of MySpace. I never really got into MySpace because I went straight from Zanga to DeviantArt to LiveJournal. Oh my so God. just kind of surpassed MySpace. Yeah. I had a lot of friends who, for them, I think the ver their version of that was Neopets. Yeah. that's a, that Wasn't it Claire Hummel who was saying that she made a massive amount of fan art for Neopets and eventually like ended up drawing like Neopets like oh my gosh that's so you talked earlier about how you had a webcomic that you did before Check Please did that come out of your existing social media communities like did you feel like that was sort of like oh I've been doing this fan art and then I suddenly started doing this original stuff and it was kind of building on your existing audience or did you sort of start over uh, from scratch to uh, you're like, okay, well, now I'm going to do this original professional stuff and I'm going to just completely be a whole new person online. Like, what was your sort of transition there? I think you're even hinting at something that is almost the key to social media presence. It's kind of maneuvering your audience from whatever platform you're on, directing them to the right place. And for me, when I started The Closet Story, I, w I had been in Boostal fandom and Star Trek fandom for years. Like, like I was the person who was making this type of fan art. And when people were already seeing my posts on their friends list, I'm like, I want to say feed. I want to say, I want to say dashboard, but it was friends list. Um, they, they would see me set talking about this new webcomic and I would share updates and it would funnel some of the people who were, you know, interested in the art for my art's sake, not just because it was Star Trek or Jeeves and Wooster or house or 
avatar last year better. They were interested in my storytelling for whatever reason. And, and then they stayed with me there. And then when I said, okay, um, I can't do this comic anymore. I have school. Like those people were the people who followed me to Tumblr. So I do, I, I do genuinely, like general, genuinely believe that none of that was really a conscious thing. It wasn't like I was, um, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, making these brand marketing choices. I just wanted people to look at my art and I already had some eyes on it. And, but I do think, and I'm very fortunate and extremely lucky that having started so early and having like gained and kind of nurtured this audience and carefully directing them every time I progress to a different platform, that is a, a little part of why Check Please was able to take off. I already had a set audience looking at it. So I didn't start from new. I didn't start like a whole new professional persona. I was still building on things that I started when I was 13, to be quite honest. So Zanga, Live Journal, webcomic, Tumblr. Tumblr. How has your social media changed from then to today? That is a good question. And I, and I can't just speak for myself. When we talk about social media, we're talking about everything from how parents have to regulate what their like 12-year-old son is putting up on the, on his Instagram. We have to talk about the president. We have to talk about uh, like cyberbullying. But all of that stuff is is kind of the current climate and it's changed from the Zanga and MySpace to where you know, the ultimate goal of social media is to make sure that our eyes are always on it, or we're always engaged. And that's probably caused social media to uh, open up so that there's a lot more people like who can enter and leave conversations. That's that's like Twitter's bread and butter. Anybody can find anything. You can quote tweet something to a thousand of your followers. Um, Facebook is constantly trying to get you to friend new people. Instagram is always like suggesting things like it. The world is the social media world is all about kind of um, having as wide a net social net as possible. And I do think that's made the, the difference between, you know, Zanga, which is like, I, I was only, it was like me and like 10 of my middle school friends on it. The difference between that and like live journal, which was like not my middle school friends, like some of my high school friends and then a bunch of people that I'd never met before to Tumblr, which suddenly like I'm in this big, bigger fandom and I'm interacting with people I've never seen and my posts might go super far out. I know I don't know if you've ever seen those like neural network uh, visualizations of what a Tumblr post, like how many people can see it to somewhere like Twitter where like every time someone retweets something, it goes to their, it goes to their followers and their followers might retweet it. I, I think the difference is smaller communities versus larger communities and knowing how to navigate that. And I, I, I'm glad I got kind of a gradual exposure to what a larger community feels like and having less control over your content while having a greater outreach. I feel like there's also been a lot of a move toward flattening everything. Cause I remember like a big thing about live journal was sort of all about very carefully curating different spaces and who had access to different things and who you, what you were looking at and who you were talking to. And that meant it was hard to grow your audience, so to speak, but it also meant that you usually generally knew who was seeing something and you were only were kind of seeing things you were looking for. And now the, all the social media is designed, like you were saying, to get it in front of as many people as possible in a way that you don't necessarily have a huge amount of control over, or you're just very aggressively locking it down and there's not really an in-between. Yeah, precisely. You got it. It's Those earlier sites were all about uh, kind of putting the control in the user's hands. Social media today is more about uh, the control is in the corporation's hands or the app's hands. It's about um, them making sure that you have that you're exposed to as much stuff as possible, so you can get as many ads in front of you as possible. And you can be honest, like that stuff is. I do. I do think it's interesting. I literally had a conversation with the creator of Pillowfort, who uh, Julia Barretts, who lives in Austin, who's a friend of mine. Um, like, I, I was just picking her brain on like just kind of like the basic tenets, the ethos of, of different social media sites 
And I, I'm not sure if things are going to change anytime soon. And I do think that stuff is fascinating. But I, I guess I, I guess I do want to talk about how people can navigate those things, how people in comics can navigate those things, and how they can not be beholden to the whims of like I don't know, like Instagram's algorithm. You know, like how can they move past that? I do think people have agency, despite the despite social media wanting to take that away. Like, okay, so here's a hypothetical situation that I often find. Um, there might be there might be someone out there. Um, I'm at a convention. Um, a person walks up to me, and they they want to make a web comic. They have pretty good art. They might have like a sense of humor or like a really good eye for scary things or a sense of adventure, and they. You know, I always ask people like what their what their dreams are, what's their what's their dream project, and usually a person would like to make comics full time. Um, there's different routes to doing that. I think the traditional publishing route is one way, um, and then I think web comics is the other way. There might be a, a in between where you're doing freelance for um, kind of the more Cape comics. But if you're taking the web comic route, I often just kind of sit back and I'm just like, okay, well now we have a problem, and this person usually at a convention doesn't really have that much of a following because if they do have a following, it's pretty easy to kind of galvanize and like, like kind of and start engaging with that community. But if they don't have a following, the question is how do you get one? Um, it's like the hardest thing in the world. I'm going to turn the tables on you. What do you guys usually say to those questions? Let's brainstorm. I mean, I think that the big thing that has been a kind of a conversation recently is this balance between wanting to maintain some sense of like having a life outside of social media and not having all of your work and all of yourself on it all the time, but also having to acknowledge the ways in which constantly being on social media and constantly feeding that does work and finding that balance uh, like I, I've had a lot of conversations with other cartoonists recently about things that they do that get them a lot of followers that they have mixed feelings about. And it's everything from doing hourly comics, which a lot of people have really mixed feelings about because it's so exhausting and time consuming. Um, I have a friend who does 24 hour comics day every year because it's just very reliably a way to get a ton of followers, even though it's like really exhausting uh, and difficult. It's like, okay, but every time I do this, a bunch of new people start reading my comics this year. So I keep doing it, even though it like takes a huge amount of effort. Uh, and, you know, doing journal comics and doing sort of other kinds of event things and constantly making content for your feed. But then it's also like, okay, but this is keeping me from actually doing my job or it's keeping me from having a sense of doing things just for myself and not like my entire life is about generating capital C content. And I think that that's harder for some people than for other people. Like I think some people really thrive on kind of that constant churn and some people find it very exhausting and distracting. And I'm definitely more in the latter category. Uh, I, I would agree. It does feel very exhausting and ultimately inorganic because it's not sustainable. And I use that word frequently, but it's, it's really not sustainable because you're going to get burnt out if the end goal is content. You know, that's that sounds very tiring, but yeah. it does work for some people. I know. And there must be someone out there who really enjoys it. Uh, but that, that's that's not. the Yeah, but that's effective. It's effective. You're right. I think that some people see it as like a thing that they have to do for a while to hit a certain level of self-sustainability. Um, but I don't know. Not everybody's cut out for it. It's an interesting problem. Yeah. I also have a lot of conversations about like the first thing you said, which is that that personal and professional division, right? And how how much of my life and myself I am going to put out on my social media, which is kind of explicitly a professional account rather than a personal account. Um, and it's it's something that I think about a lot. And the things that I do put out are kind of very carefully curated. And if you look at my social media, you won't see a lot of pictures of, for example, like inside my apartment or... <laughs> um, it's mostly know. ice cream and books. Yep. I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, and I, I'm pretty happy with that as a as a accurate representation of things that I think about a lot of the time and take up much of my life. 
but there's also other other chunks of my life that are not things that I'm putting front and center on the internet in the same way. And I think that some people believe that they have to basically become YouTube stars and just kind of constantly mine their life for content. And I also don't think that's organic. I think that could be very, once you start to blur those lines, you, you lose privacy, you lose, you lose separation from the internet and your audience. Um, so I guess the, the only way that I have found to be organic, but it's still pretty tricky. And I mean, honestly, I'd probably say it because it's the only thing that's worked for me has been to seek out existing communities that you are genuinely interested in and, and engage. That's, that's, that's what's worked for me. And when I see other artists who I, who have followings, I, I'd like to see what, you know, the questions that you guys were asking me at the beginning. How did you get from point A to point B? How did you even get this following? And usually there's an internet history. There's an online engagement history, either starting with DeviantArt or, oh my gosh, uh, the Okakaki boards. Oh God, yep. Yeah, yeah. It's starting in all these little places that had much smaller closed communities that were less flat, like, like Ali was saying. And and then they moved to other places. I think, I really do believe that the only way I've seen it work is by being part of the community in an organic way, engaging in an organic way, and promoting yourself authentically. It takes time. The, the, the downside of that is that it won't be like getting like a thousand or a hundred or a dozen followers after doing hourly comics. And it, and it won't be like, oh, I'm mining my private life for content. It, it takes a lot of time, like a long time. So you have to be in for the long haul. So I feel like there's like your personal social media, like maybe you have a personal Instagram account or you text people or like whatever that you're dealing with, like your personal friends. And then there's like your public facing professional social media where you might also be dealing with friends, but you're also dealing with like your readers. Um, how, how do you feel like your relationship either splitting these two place spaces like more conscientiously have you over the time is that something you've been doing or do you feel like your relationship with your more public facing social media has changed as your books have become a bigger thing like kind of how have you negotiated that because i think that's something a lot of people it sneaks up on people that that's something they have to deal with yeah i i can definitely see that as a problem I think the best social media training I've had is being like a teenager on the internet in the early hots. And I've always been able to kind of separate my fandom from my personal life. Even when I was on LiveJournal, I had my fandom blog and then I I had another blog where I was writing about my life and it, it had a fraction of the followers. It was really only people I knew in real life. I think that, um, being able to compartmentalize, is uh, in this case a very healthy thing because the, the, the more you make your, let's say, comics, social media presence about your personal life, the more you, you might become dependent on like perhaps external validation. I, I can't say the phrases correctly. Basically compartmentalizing your professional and personal life makes sure that neither one is uh, affecting the other and you're not seeking validation for one and the other. I guess that's the best way to say it. Like, yeah, I think some people really, their lives are comics, but not in the sense that they're getting, they're like reading comics and are interested in comics. It's how much external praise am I getting for my comics, for my web presence, for my popularity. And that's where they seek validation. I think that's very dangerous. So keeping them separate, like, to go garden, go run with your friends, go, go like play super smash brothers. And you don't have to post that online. Keep your private life like a little bit, unless, unless you're all your, Oh, that leads to the next problem. What if all your friends are online? Yeah. I mean, and I think that's really hard, right? Because who, who doesn't get people online or in person, you know, saying that they and their work is awesome and feeling some sort of, excitement or charge from that, right? Like we all, we all want 
feedback. We all want positive feedback and praise and validation for what we're doing and indications that what we're doing is good enough to succeed. Um, And I think that social media is a channel that can be very effective for instantly conveying that to all of us. Um, And, you know, I I definitely, like, you know, what you're saying about separating the two and having a life outside social media, I think is, is very good. But I also think that, you know, you, you can't, I mean, I personally can't not turn on my social media and be like, oh, yes, I did this thing. And then people thought it was great. Like, you know, like bonus, bonus stars for me this morning. Yeah, of course. I, I, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's fair. I just, I just grow wary of it because I, but I don't know. I mean, let's get personal, Gita. I've seen your social media. Maybe I'm not following any private accounts, but it's still, there's no sense that I've seen it become like a sense of dependency where people constantly seek that validation. Um, and I don't know, your, your accounts are so nice. Uh, maybe I, I do look at all the ice cream that you post and I do want it. And I do think it's awesome that you're, you know where to find it. Um, maybe I should comment on that. <laughs> it's cool. Although this makes me think, so like you have gone from having most if not all of your creative work be intended for web a webcomic with a pretty, I mean, my sense as somebody who was reading it is there was a pretty immediate turnaround, or at least there used to be, of like, I have finished this and then I'm going to put it on Tumblr immediately. Oh, absolutely. And I, there were, yeah, there were yeah. times when I would, five minutes before I was posting, I was changing dialogue. Yeah. Got it. And so, and now you've, you've kind of gone pretty far in the other direction where you have really large chunks of work uh, some of which are eventually going to be on the web, but some of which aren't that are for print that you're doing. And I feel like that transition is especially hard for web comics people who are used to that kind of instant validation and feedback. Like how has that been for you personally? Has it been a relief or has it been stressful? I would ultimately say it's been a relief uh, just because I, I'm actually extremely thankful for my patrons on Patreon um, because they're the people that I get to show stuff. And it's a small crowd, um, you know, and I, get, and I can get that, you know, immediate, um, immediate feedback from them. And it's enough, that's enough for me, just seeing that some people react to it. But for the most part, it's been a great relief because <sighs> social media goes hand in hand with fandom. And the more separation I have from fandom, I've noticed that the bolder my storytelling has gotten, the less... Uh, uh, wary I have had of making certain storytelling choices. And do you mean your own fandom is in like fans of your work specifically? Yes. Uh, fans of my work specifically, but even just like, I think it would apply for fandom in, in, as a whole. Like the, the double-edged sword is that you get that immediate feedback, but it could easily be turned into like a viral post where it's like, oh, why did you make X character do this? Or blah, blah, blah. And it, so th- it's the double-edged sword. So for me, I it, it's I, I get less feedback. I don't get the you know like excitement from a post because I'm I have to wait like months before I uh, post now, um, and that's okay with me. And I think that I, I, I the, the pros of that have certainly outweighed the cons. That's interesting. You mentioned having your patrons. I think there's a lot of people end up sort of building some kind of a community, whether it be like a private. Twitter or a Patreon or just even just like a text thread with friends of like, well, I really want to get that instant feedback and figuring out exactly what it is you really need and like what's meaningful to you personally and finding a way to get that and not have this undifferentiated, like, I just need something. It's like, okay, but what do you actually need? Yeah. And like the best thing that a person can do um, alongside like slowly building their social media following is making sure that they have private spaces where they can run things past people first. How often on my secret, super secret Twitter, do I see people like talk about something and then say, maybe I'll take this to Maine. It's like a, it's like a test lab before you, before you announce things in public. I think that could really, if more people got secret Twitters, the world would be a better place. (laughs) 
Although I've definitely seen some cases where somebody's like, I'm taking this to Maine because you assholes don't appreciate that I'm a genius. Well, I, I've seen that as well. And what they need to do then is get a Discord where they can at everybody, hold people by, shake them down, be like, ah, pay attention. So, or just text it to friends and like, look at this. There's different levels. Do you feel like at this point, kind of where you are in your career, and I mean, obviously this is very specific to you personally, that your being on social media is still a very important part of your career? Like, do you think if you just decided tomorrow, I don't feel like using Twitter, that you could just stop using it? Or do you feel like it's sort of become part of the machinery of your professionalism at this point in a way that's kind of unavoidable? Uh, I, I would say that fortunately I'm in the position to where if I truly wanted to maneuver to like never using social media again, oh my God, <laughs> well, never use it like Twitter again. Um, I would miss it, but it's possible. I, I think there are tons of people who are making books right now who are uh, sharing stories right now who um, aren't on the internet and they, they, they don't use the internet. It's, it's becoming perhaps rarer and rarer, but the only reason I'd be able to do that is because I've spent a long time investing in an audience and building it so that it's self-sustaining so that, you know, like, I don't know. I'm thinking of what's his face. Uh, <laughs> Dave Pil- Pilkey. I don't, does he have a Twitter? Who knows? Bill Watterson. It was, it was, Bill- Beyonce doesn't even talk to her. Bill Watterson is a cryptid. Like he- <laughs> <laughs> I have met Dave Pilkey though. He is not a cryptid. No. Yeah. Dave Pilkey's chill. His. But Beyonce has become a cryptid, and it's because she doesn't need to talk to anybody anymore. She lets her people do that. <laughs> but I am none of those people. I am like those are like three heavy hitters. Yeah, no. But Dave Pilkey is not. Dave Pilkey is not on Twitter. He just, I don't know, exists in the the hearts and minds of half human, half dog creatures everywhere. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's that is the case, and ultimately that's the goal. You you want to? I mean, I feel like I guess I really want to make a thesis for this episode of the podcast. I want to make sure that we're that like whoever's listening is leaving with something. That, and it sounds trite to say that social media is a tool, but it is. But every tool is like has an object that it's working on, and the thing that you're working on is a good a good comic, good art, and and being true to your audience. It's really all about authenticity across the board. Um, and like when I say like, oh, blah, 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 I could, I could maybe one day leave social media, it's because I have and will continue to do the work of making sure that my audience knows what I'm about and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing them too. And they're hearing me. Like, And yeah. social, media, social media facilitates that, but if we didn't have that, that would still be happening. So can you talk a little about like what you actually do to do those things? Like how do you be authentic? How do you make sure your audience hears your authenticness that you're trying to get across to them? And how do you make sure that they hear that you hear them? Well, I mean, we can get, we can get really deep into this because authenticity for me is about making sure that, the art, the humor, the horror, the fantasy, that's paramount. The world building, that's paramount. You're, you, you are excited to share that, and you are excited to find other people who appreciate that. That's why I'm talking about like finding a community, finding a place where people appreciate those things. Like, it, Pick a fandom, any fandom, and find the people who are looking for, who appreciate the world building in Zelda games. They appreciate the horror in like Junji Ito comics and you get those guys together and that that's where your audience begins. It's, it's really about being true to the thing that speaks to you. And I don't, I don't want to go on a, on a true rant here, but it's, it's not about, it's about really addressing your insecurities first and foremost. If you're worried that your art's not good enough, if you're worried that your storytelling's not good enough, if you're worried that people aren't paying attention to you, if you're worried about anything that one can talk about with friends or loved ones or like a, a professional, like you've really got to try to tackle those first because if you make your social media about that, I, I do think you're wasting time. Or you'll attract people who like that type of stuff and then you got to watch out. <laughs> it sounds like partially what you're talking about sort of 
I think we've been kind of talking around is also the is the issue of like intentionality. Like I think that I think that we were talking earlier about like things people do to build a following, for instance, and it, it sounds like partially kind of what we're all talking about here is sitting down and really thinking about like what you're trying to accomplish, like what kind of a what do you want the space to be for? What are you using it for? Using it to meet people or using it to share your comic? Like what kind of presence do you want to have and be making decisions based on that and not just sort of be throwing social media spaghetti at the wall, doing whatever is necessary to like get two more people to follow your Twitter. Cause I feel like, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and like, yes and no, or actually maybe we are talking about the same thing because I think intentionality and authenticity go hand in hand. Yeah. It's really being, tr- it's not about, you're right. Like it's not about throwing social media stuff up against the wall. It's posting the things that you want to, because they speak to you and you, they might speak to others. It's really, it's really about that. Um, and how many times have I scrolled through someone's feed? And I can, because I am a social media expert, like I can really tell what a comic artist is about if they're if they're doing a lot of retweets about things like about video games or like movies that they like. And like they they like this media. They're really interested in it. They're they're engaged with that. Or they only post like the one picture. They want their um, feed to be a gallery. That's another method of doing it. Like you can really tell like what someone's intention is and like the intentionality of their presence by just seeing you know like a day and a day of their post. Um, and I, I'm not sure if it needs to be something like where you. It, I mean, I'm all into passion planning and writing down your plans between one year, two years, <laughs> three years. But it, it, it may not be something like where you sit down and think about it. It's just asking yourself like. Do, why am I posting this? Just taking taking a moment to say like, why am I posting this? And um, you know, I've been I've been very, very close to subtweeting in my life. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, I've been close. Um, but you can ask yourself why you're doing that and what's the goal. Do nothing without intention. Do everything with intention. I think that a lot of people, especially younger people, a big thing that they want out of a space like Twitter is to make friends, especially if maybe they haven't gone to college yet, or they just don't have access to a big comics community, maybe in their uh, day-to-day life. And they're like, all right, I'm going to go on Twitter. I'm going to make friends with other cartoonists. And then when I go to a convention, I'll already know people and it's going to be great. Um, and we've actually gotten emails from listeners to the Graphic Novel TK inbox, literally asking us, like, uh, how do I make friends on the internet? <laughs> so, and, and we had some advice we tried to give these people, but do you have any advice for how people can be conscientious friend connectors on Twitter? Maybe some do's and don'ts or any advice at all for how to navigate? Because it could be, it can be nerve wracking. It could be nerve. And, you know, that's a fantastic question. Um, I think everyone approaches it differently. I know there's some people who are way more outgoing than others, more people, some people that, you know, kind of need to be lured out of their shell a little bit. Um, but I can only speak for myself. I would say that, um, man, this is hard because I want everyone to be careful as well. Um, and I think make, the, the way I've made friends kind of reflects how I've made friends IRL, IRL versus URL. It's really about um, finding people who make the same connections as you, um, checking them out, making sure they have like a good track record. And then once maybe public conversation, it has reached a certain threshold, you might take it to DMs where you can say, hello, hi, oh, I had this fun thought. For me, it like it always kind of has this collaborative sense when, when I make a friend online. I haven't made too many friends purely in the online realm, um, but it it usually happens when like we start to like we have the same ideas about something or we're both commenting on the same fan fiction and then we're talking about it. It, it starts with excitement and then um, and then carefully making sure that we're respecting each other's boundaries as it becomes a more um, like a direct engagement. You know, take your time, be, be excited, um, be careful. I always tell people that a lot of it's like kind of taking continuously making sure you're reading the room. Like, is this person responding to your tweets? Like, 
there's there's growing horizontally versus mm. reaching vertically. And the yeah. biggest advice I can get to everyone is read, yeah, read the room, like make try to make friends with people who, I mean, easy indicator might be same age group. Now I feel, I feel like I'm just speaking about social interactions in general. Yeah, make friends with your peer group before you try to reach above. And when you are reaching quote unquote above, um, you should probably be looking for mentors. And most likely, if you are seeking a mentor. They will come to you. You just have to be ready. So make friends with your peer group. Yeah. And be aware of other people's presence and other people's time. I feel like the main thing also is like, it's so easy to take things personally. And 99% of the time, it's could not be less personal. Like Dave Pelkey is drawing two 200 page books a year and is just not paying attention to his non-existent Twitter account. (laughs) (laughs) So he's so not paying attention to it that he has not created it. In fact, there you go. So I I think a lot of that might be, yeah, don't, don't take things personally. Um, It's very easy to internalize things. Well, we're all the most important person in our own lives, you know, so it's like... Can you talk a little about how your fans and readers interact with you on social media and how you deal with that? Yes, that's a fantastic question. I I would say that when it comes to interacting with readers, uh, towards the beginning of the comic, it was literally anybody who had anything to say about check please i was like oh my god whoa, whoa what hey thank you so much like i was just it was just overwhelming gratitude that overwhelming gratitude is still there but because there are more readers i have to really be uh, strategic and careful to make sure that i'm not only you know protecting myself but i'm being conscious that there are readers of all ages and probably won't talk to someone who is like 14 or 15 at this point like it's it's I'm, I want to be careful of who I'm speaking to, and also knowing that like because there's also a fandom uh, and I am a creator, they uh, it might it's easy to take interactions as uh, fandom currency. Like oh this is oh this is right this is like oh I'm right about this thing because like blah 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 like Ingozi said this blah blah blah. So I just try to keep it. Um, a little bit more contained. I love meeting people in real life. I'm actually much better at, I I think I figured out for the most part, social interactions in real life uh, because the boundaries are so much easier to set when there's a table between you or when you're standing in a meet and greet. Online, the boundaries are a bit more hazy. So I I truly take my time and I try just to talk about check please and keep things, you know, professional. Um, So is that different that like, we're talking to fans online different from how you interact with other people in the industry online. Yes. It's, there's a lot more intimacy with people in the industry. I'm able to joke more, like comment on things more, but honestly that stuff happens privately, not publicly. That's just the way I do things. Um, I, I have a lot of discord servers and, um, group chats where I do a lot of talking with people in the industry. If I really want to talk to someone, I'll send them a, a direct message or literally I will cold email them, cold call them. I will call people on the phone. <laughs> like I, I, I prefer that more than social media. Yeah, no, I, I don't usually um, cold call people on the phone, but sometimes people, sometimes people tweet at me and then I write them an email in response to that. <laughs> I mean, and again, I know, I know I said this earlier, but this is just like reiterating, like, there's so many ways in which people in the world need to be very careful not to take stuff personally. And a lot of this is like, it's really good to remember, like, what seems self-evidently the best way to talk to you, other people might not agree with you. And you might, for instance, feel like email is just a huge pain in the ass and you would never want to bother somebody with an email, whereas adding somebody on Twitter is obviously the nicest way to talk to somebody that other person might not agree with you. And that doesn't mean that there's a problem there. It just means that maybe you have to like readjust your expectations of how you're talking to different people for different people um, and kind of take a step back and, and not, not make assumptions about 
other people or whether or not they have a beef with you or something based on how they are choosing or choosing not to interact with you. Cause usually there's a whole, there's a whole person's life behind their decision about how to answer or not answer your at on Twitter. And you can't always say it's just social media when cyberbullying is a problem. And um, there's, you know, people get serious uh, social media anxiety, but at the same time, what has helped me is remembering that it is so, just social media. If you want to know how I play with fire, I will unfollow people that I've met in real life. And if they take it personally, <laughs> I, I can't control that. And I will meet them in real life and just be like, yeah, like, it, you know, that's, it is, that is what it is. We're still friends. And like our most of the time I actually just mute people, but like, I, I, I really at this point have to just, I can't, it, it, it would be paralyzing to worry about how every single one of my um, actions influences Everyone, I try to be kind and cordial and make sure that's passed on in real life. But like following, unfollowing, muting, unmuting, not retweeting, not responding. I've, I've had to definitely put that in a separate part of my brain where I, I can't de- devote that much attention to it. It's, it'll drive you off the deep end. So we've covered a lot of this sort of already, but I mean, other than things we've already talked about, do you have any more advice for... Uh, authors in terms of things you think are really great to do or things that are maybe not such a great idea in your personal opinion about how to kind of conduct themselves as professionals online? I would say the the best thing perhaps to avoid is that people can really see when you're when you're hungry for things um, when you're hungry for attention or for likes or to make a connection um, I, I don't have and I don't think there's anything wrong with networking but um being authentic and genuine comes through like i do think everyone has like some level of intuition and sensing those things so right now if you're trying to figure out the best way to make a make your mark on social media and try to build up your online presence um take a look at the work you're doing take a look at your art and and, and try to keep your focus there, um, and then and then start to start to seek engagement in an authentic way. I, I, I would I would probably ask people to reevaluate um, their goals. And Gozi, can you give us a rundown of what social media you're using right now, and are there different ways that you're thinking about your presence on each different platform? Oh man, actually yes. So I would say that um, I'm pretty much on all the social media that's happening right now in 2019, from Facebook to Instagram to Twitter to Tumblr. Uh, Tumblr, for me, is probably the purest fandom space, and that comes with pros and cons. It's where I'm like I, I'm free to share more fan art. I could be a bit more loose and goofy. Twitter, Twitter is semi-professional. Um, there are people following me there who aren't following me on Tumblr. It's it's probably where uh, the instance of fandom and professionalism collide. Instagram is a particularly weird space where it's not really a place for fandom. There's not like a huge like fan fiction culture on Instagram, for example. It's kind of a semi-professional, semi-public space. That's where I actually follow a lot of the celebrities who I think are interesting. So for there, I, I actually keep it professional as well. Um, when it comes to personal, that's Facebook with the occasional posts once or twice a year. Um, I have a private Twitter that is all for the venting and the sharing memes and the like being silly and goofy. And then the rest, I wouldn't call Discord social media in particular, but any type of chatting service is where I'm talking to. It, it could be semi-professional. Um, that's where I actually have a patreon server um but yeah that's that's a bit more private are you still using pillowfort actively i am still using pillowfort i think pillowfort currently has about like between forty thousand and fifty thousand users it's a really cool place i i usually share comic updates there um and it's just i think it's a matter of time it's going to continue to grow and i wish the best for julia we uh we just asked you about all your social media but can you go through them again and give a, give people handles to follow you and also any other place online, like perhaps your webcomic that they should also be checking out? 
So we can kind of consolidate everything into just two things. Uh, first, uh, my webcomic is called Check, Please. If you literally Google hockey webcomic, it will pop up. You can't remember the name. And other than that, I am N-G-O-Z-I-U and Gozi-U on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Pillowfort. So it's pretty easy to find me. Just Google hockey webcomic. Actually, I think you can just Google hockey comic and it comes up. Hell yeah. Yeah, I've got the SEO. (laughs) I'm working on a project with my friend Madeline Rupert. It is a softball comic, and it's about softball in art school. Uh, a, A gang of art students have to win one game of softball in order to get their tuition paid for. So it's a cautionary tale about... Uh, higher education in America. It's also a lot about art school. And of course, it's about sports. Yay, that sounds great. Excellent. I can't wait to see it. Lucy, thank you so much for talking to us about all this stuff today. I know it can be kind of thorny to uh, untangle some of this. So we really appreciate you being so frank about it. Oh, I appreciate your time. Uh, and even wanting to ask me these questions. And you guys are doing extraordinary, really valuable work. Um, this is the information that like every art student needs to hear. Oh, well, thank you so much. That's so kind of you to say. Thanks for listening to Graphic Novel TK. Up next, conventions and festivals. How do you interact with them usefully? We'll find out. Yes. Graphic Novel TK is co-produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at graphic novel TK or email us at graphic novel TK at gmail.com.